So here I am going into business with my newfound partner, Dominic Chance. Let me tell you a little bit about Dominic. He called himself the Professor. His name was spelled C-I-A-N-C-I, but they pronounced it Chance. Dominic was one of seven brothers, the oldest. Between the seven brothers and his stepfather, they bragged about having a hundred years in prison. Dominic explained to me what had happened two years prior in Rockaway. He said he was in his tattoo shop and his brother Nick was in the back. He said three or four of these Irish guys come in and started a fight with Dominic. Dominic says, I went over and locked the front door, sucked the key in my pocket, picked up my hammer, and proceeded to fight these guys. He says, my brother Nick come out of the back. He said, Nick is a crazy man. Don't ever fuck with my brother Nick. He said, Nick picked up a hammer and started beating these guys in the head. He said, one of my other brothers pulled up in the car with some friends, and they had a key for the shop, and they came in, and they really did a job on these Irish guys. Ambulance had been called. They were sent to the hospital in very bad shape. And that's why the police didn't want a tattoo shop there anymore. Dominic explained to me that one of his brothers was in prison. He was going up to visit him next week. He was in a prison called Taksaki. But I'd like to take a ride with him upstate New York and visit with his brother. And I smiled and said, I don't know, Dominic. I did a year in Kaksaki myself. I ain't too fond of that place. Dominic smiled and said, what was your number? I said, my number was 9681. That meant I was the 9,681st guy to come into that prison. Dominic chuckled and said, he opened that prison. His number was something like 37. He said, you know the pads you stand in up there? And they each had a name. I said, yeah. He said, did you ever hear of the last chance? I said, sure. He said, that was his pad. That was named after him, the last chance. So anyway, I took a ride with Dominic. That week we went over Dominic's house to meet his mother and his stepfather. His mother, a nice little old Italian lady, spoke broken English. And she was asking me, did I know her sons? I said, well, I met some of them. She said, did you meet Tommy? I said, no, I didn't. She said, well, something's wrong with Tommy. Something's wrong with that boy. Will you please talk to him for me? I said, sure, I, I would. When I met him, I, I would talk to him. She said, he's a, a priest down in Georgia. Something's wrong with that boy. She didn't seem to mind that the other six were gangsters. The one that was the priest he was worried about. Dominic had a great gift of gab. He would gift the gab to customers that came in. He would talk them into getting a tattoo. If they didn't see anything on the wall with our flesh, he would sit down. He used to have a, an eyebrow pencil behind his ear. He would sit down and sketch something with this eyebrow pencil right on the customer's arm. That impressed me that Dominic could draw so nice. 
One day I still had the shop down, down by the Brooklyn Navy Yard. Tony the pilot came over. He was very impressed with our Manhattan shop. And he, he brought a couple of sailors. A ship was in. And we tattooed one of these sailors. He was a boatswain's mate. That's a pretty important guy on an aircraft carrier. Anyway, we tattooed a big eagle on this guy's chest, took pictures of it, and put his picture in the window. And as sailors would come walking by the shop, they'd say, hey, there's Fergie's picture, this is the plate. And we'd like, boy, we were busy when that aircraft carrier came in. Everybody liked that tattoo shop. Rocky came down for a visit. Stanley and Walker from the Bowery came down for a visit. Everybody we knew came in for a visit. They wished us luck and thought we had a great place, great location. We were on 48th Street and 8th Avenue. Madison Square Garden was on 49th and 50th and 8th Avenue. And when they had a big event, such as a boxing match, a wrestling match, a hockey game, a basketball game, a circus, a rodeo, whatever they had, thousands of people would, would be there at Madison Square Garden and pass right in front of our shop. I used to work practically in the window and Dominic to my left. We had a very busy shop. Dominic used to be a tattooer with the carnivals and, and he'd go out in the winter and he came back and he always had new ideas. He graduated from our porcelain pot to a little electric cook stove, just a little electric hot plate, and you put your, your porcelain pot on there. Now we had boiling water. We were getting even cleanlier. We also came back with the idea of spray bottles, spray bottles, like a Windex bottle. You spray the soap on the, on the arm instead of the dirty, dirty old sponge spray alcohol on the arm with a spray bottle and, and we looked a little more sanitary than, than we had been before. We actually had a very good business. Let me explain what the neighborhood was like. The neighborhood was called Hell's Kitchen, a, a badass neighborhood. <laughs> and we met the guys, the gangs from Hell's Kitchen. The leader of this gang was a guy named Ferguson. Well, actually, even another guy named Burkhardt used to bang heads on who was the leader of their gang. Also in that gang was a guy named Howie who wanted to learn the tattoo. I mean, and Dominic were helping Howie learn how to tattoo. We had quite a little shop there. Dominic's brother Nick used to hang in the shop. Nick was a heavy drinker. Nick always had a bottle in his back pocket. One day a fight broke out in the tattoo shop. The fight broke out in that tattoo shop every goddamn day. That was a rough tattoo shop. Anyway, a guy gets knocked to the ground on the floor, and Nick, Nick Dominic's brother, sitting there on the floor, and he reaches over, ah, and bites this guy on the nose. Lift the guy's nose off. Jesus Christ. On the corner of 48th Street and 8th Avenue was a big man that used to hang out on the corner. His name was Sutan Tony Galento. 
It was a professional prize fighter who fought the mighty Joe Lewis for the championship. Two-ton Tony would stand on the corner. He was a character and a half. And he would just put his hands on his hips. Jesus, he was so wide. Two-ton Tony Galento. He took off half the fucking corner. People had to walk around him, out into the street to get around him. When we weren't busy, and that wasn't very often, Dominic would take a walk. The bus side terminal was only two blocks away, and Dominic used to like to hang out in the bus terminal to look away, look around for young runaway girls. One day he brings this young runaway girl back to the tattoo shop. In the tattoo shop was a trap door on the floor. You lifted up this trap door and there was a, a wooden staircase down to the basement. And Dominic just lifted this trap door up threw this young girl down the fucking stairs and slammed the door down and left. They said, well, keep her down there for a while. She'll be so scared, she'll do anything we want her to do. I said, man, I'm going to get in trouble with this Dominic. He's a little bit of a nut. One day, next door, two doors down, was a little luncheonette that had sandwiches and coffee. I was in the place getting, getting a sandwich to bring back. When I come out into the street, here was Dominic and Ferguson and a couple of the guys from, from the Hell's Angels gang, from the Hell's Kitchen gang, fighting, fighting people on the street. I got lucky and put on a little boxing exhibition, taking out two of these guys, and I go back into the shop. Later that night, Dominic says, come here, and he tattoos on my arm. This was quite a, a famous tattoo. It was done quite often of a little boxing boy with boxing gloves on called Kid Slug. Dominic tattooed that on my arm right above the name that Brooklyn Blackie had written on me, Crazy Eddie. I, I was pretty well getting filled up with my arms with these tattoos. Dominic never ceased to amaze me with his craziness. One day we were talking about baked beans, and Dominic says, who likes baked beans? A couple of us said, we do. He went and got his car, said, come on, everybody in the car. Where the hell did he go? He went to Boston. He drove all the way to Boston to get real baked beans, he said. One day Dominic took me for a ride. He said, let's go to Philly. Have you ever been to Philly and have a cheesesteak? I said, no, I haven't. He said, come on, we're going there and get one. That was a very interesting trip. <laughs> in Philadelphia, on Lake Street, Skid Row area, like the Bowery in New York, hmm. the borderline of Skid Row and Chinatown was tattoo shops, five of them. There was a man named Sailor Eddie and his wife Esther, a man named Professor Raymond, Another guy called Pop Up, a man he called himself Sailor Charlie, and a very old man all the way down the street, Al Walters. So I got to meet all these tattooers. That was very interesting. I got tattooed by Sailor Eddie while we were there. <clears throat> he put an eagle on my chest. 
Jesus, when he did that, it, it felt like he was tattooing me in my neck. It really hurt. But anyway, I got a very nice eagle there. And we came back to Manhattan. I was sporting off my eagle, looking in the mirror, when my friend Lou Rubino came in for a visit. He admired my eagle and asked me if I would put one of them on him. So he traced the eagle right off my chest, and I proceeded to tattoo my friend Lou Rubino. What I liked about Saleretti in Philadelphia is he had colors that nobody else had. He had a, an electric blue. He had a different shade of green. It was very nice, very pretty, like a jungle green. He had a maroon. He had a yellow. And it seemed that he had a, a fellow that tattooed with him on the weekends. His name was Jack Armstrong, not to be mixed up with the Jack Armstrong tattoo artist from down south. This guy was just a part-time tattooer. He worked in a chemical factory, and in working in the chemical factory, they would bring home these little packets of big powder pigments, and they were experimenting with them on themselves, and they developed these other colors. So in telling Lou Rubino about that, Lou Rubino took a trip with me. He wanted to get tattooed by Saleretti and get some of these new colors in him. So me and Lou went down there. Chris Saleretti explained to me he had just tattooed some miners and he was in trouble and he had to move. He was going to go right across the bridge, right across the bridge from Philadelphia into Jersey to a town called Camden, New Jersey, and he was going to open his shop over there. But he tattooed me and Lou. I got a big butterfly up on my shoulder, and I had him put in all of these new colors that he had. Very pretty. I was also impressed with Dominic. He seemed to know everybody everywhere. He was a traveled man. When customers would come in, especially the Navy and seamen, and he would ask them where they were from. He would describe the town where they were from to the guys and ask them if they knew this, this restaurant. And he seemed to know a lot about everything. And I said, I'm going to be a traveling man. I'm going to travel everywhere. And I started to map out where tattoo artists were. Whenever a seaman would come in a sailor and they got a tattoo in Virginia, in North Carolina, wherever they got their tattoo, I would ask them where was the tattoo shop. And I was making myself little, little maps of how I was going to travel. Tony the Pirate, Lou Rubino, they used to like to travel. And we'd take little side trips to meet every tattoo we could, to learn what we could. You know, all the tattooers that would come and visit us, this was quite a spot we had in Manhattan. A young fellow from New London, Connecticut would come down. His name was Tommy Yeomans. He was quite a, quite a good tattoo artist, just learning, but, but he had a lot of talent. And he would come down to find out different tricks from us. I liked the kid. 
we would, we would have a drink together and discuss tattooing together. He becomes a, a big part of my life later on. But I thought I'd mention him now, my first meeting with Tommy Yeomans. One day sitting in the tattoo shop, an old man comes in. He leans up against the wall and is looking around. And I look over at Dominic, and Dominic was eyeballing this old guy. And Dominic says, can I help you? And the old guy says, I used to do this. And Dominic kept looking at him, looking at him, and said, Red Cloud? And the old man smiled and said, yeah. He said, Jesus, where you been? He said, well, when they tore down Sand Street by the Navy Yard, they said, I packed my stuff up in a trunk. They said, I'm right around the corner on, on 40... 49th Street. He says, I came down here. There's a little hotel over there. And I go in to check in. And there's a sign in the elevator. Elevator operator wanted. So I inquired about it. And they said they'd give me a room if I ran the elevator. He says, and I've been there. I don't know how many years, he said, but it's quite a while. And he comes over to me, Dominic introduces me to Red Cloud. I said, I've heard a lot about you. Looking black, he talks highly of you. He said he would like to see you. Red Cloud said, is Blackie still around? I said, yes, he's, he's in Coney Island. He sure would like to see you. Red Cloud said, thanks, I'll take a trip down there and see him. He said, you want to be a tattoo man, huh? I said, I sure do. He says, do you have the qualifications? I said, I don't know. What are they? He said, you need three qualifications. You've got to be too lazy to work, too afraid to steal, and too proud to beg. I said, that's pretty good. I fit in there somewhere. And Red Cloud says, I haven't done this for a while, but would you like a tattoo by me? I said, I would love one. <laughs> And I pointed to my skull and crossbones, which was my first tattoo. I really loved it, but it was just too small the way my arms were getting filled up. And I said, I would like something big in here. He says, you know that big black eagle on Blackie's arm? I said, yes, I've always admired that. He said, how would you like one of them right there? I said, great. So Red Cloud took off his shirt. He was chewing on a toothpick. He sat in my chair. I sat in the customer's chair. He dipped his toothpick in the black ink and proceeded to sketch a cover-up eagle over my skull. He says, you ready? I said, yeah. And he put that eagle on me, and Jesus, I was happy. I had a new, nice big tattoo there done by a famous tattooer of years ago. I was on, in heaven. I really enjoyed that tattoo shop. We were there for two years, just making money hand over fist. One night, very busy night, I'm tattooing, like I said, almost in the window, and Dominic says, you got an admirer. And I looked up, and there were two pretty women standing there looking in the window. I reached over and tapped on the window with my ring and motioned for them to come inside. They come in, and I introduce myself and ask them their name. 
and the one that was staring me up and down, her name was Nancy. Nancy ends up being my first wife. Jesus Christ, I should have ran like hell, but I didn't. Oh well, let me tell you a little about Nancy. I asked her and her girlfriend their names and what they were doing and where they were from. They were from the Bronx. So I took them for a drink next door at the bar, took them for a meal down the street, and offered to drive them home. In driving them home, Nancy says, my grandmother has a rooming house here in the Bronx. She said, why don't you get a room here? And, and she says, you can get a room upstairs right next to my room. And I thought that was a great idea. So I told her I'd be back the next day, which I did. And I took a room and we became lovers. Nancy from the Bronx was a beautiful young woman. She had jet black hair. Her father was Italian. Her mother was Cuban and Puerto Rican. She was a hot number. Sexy as hell. It didn't take me long to fall in love with Nancy. I fell in love very easily. All I had to do was kiss a girl and I was in love. Back to my tattooing. I still had the place down the Brooklyn Navy Yard, but Tony the pilot was more interested in working in the Manhattan tattoo shop. So was Lou Rubino. So one day I went down to the Brooklyn Navy tattoo shop. I was going to put some signs in the window to come to Manhattan. While in there making my signs, a tall young fella came in, said, Hi, my name is Jimmy Colantuno. He said, I do a little tattooing with my brother Junior over not far from me, and my mother has a candy store. We tattoo out of the candy store. He said, I notice your place is empty half the time. I was wondering if I could work here. I said, yeah, great, sure. So I discussed with him, coming down to Manhattan and meeting the guys, gave him the keys for the shop, showed him where everything was. Back in Manhattan, Jack Red Cloud came in, said, Eddie, I'd like to take a trip down to Coney Island and visit with Blackie. You got any, any plans on going down there soon? I said, yes. Yes, me and Lou Rubino were going down for a visit. In a few days, I would come by, pick up Red Cloud, and we'd take the subway. It was easier to get to Coney Island with the subway than driving from Manhattan. So the three of us went down and visited with Blackie. Blackie was very excited to see Red Cloud. Blackie took us for a little walk to a buffalo sort of secluded place in Coney Island, away from the amusements. He said, there's a new tattoo shop opened up here. He says, come on, I'll introduce you to this guy. A guy named Freddie was in there. He had a sign outside saying, Coney Island, Freddy's tattooing. Freddy wasn't there that day, but there was another fellow in there called Sailor Barney that Blackie knew. He introduced us and said, Barney had been tattooing for 
several years with the carnivals and just hanging around. He teamed up with Freddie and they opened this little tattoo shop later on the side, like he said, they're in a bad location. They ain't going to amount to nothing there. That night, me and Lou Rabino took the subway, heading back to Manhattan and then from there to Queens. On the subway, a fight breaks out. All of a sudden, this guy pulls out a knife and comes at Lou Rabino. Lou Rabino was leaning up against the doors of the subway. When the doors opened, the ladder stopped. Lou Rabino falls out. This guy with the knife jumps out. The door slams shut. I was still in the train, fighting with the guys on the train, and the train pulls away. I get off at the next stop, get the next train back to the stop we were just at. No Lou Rabino. Couldn't find him anywhere. Took the train back one stop ahead. No Lou Rabino. I took the train a couple of stops looking for Lou. Couldn't find him. So I gave up and went home. The next night I was in my house there and the police come knocking on the door. They wanted to talk to me. I said, Jesus Christ. They wanted me to come down to the police station for a lineup. It seemed like somebody got stabbed on the subway last night. And I just thought, Jesus Christ, what did Lou do? So down to the, sub, to the police station I go. I'm, I'm a little worried. I'm still on parole. And they put me in the lineup, and there's Lou Rubino. I said, what the hell did you do, Lou? He said, I didn't do anything. What the hell did you do? Anyway, in this lineup, a little old lady picks, picks that, us out. He says, it's them two, them two guys with the tattoos. They were there. I said, oh, shit, here we go again. Turns out the cops solved the, the mystery. It was somebody else. It wasn't me and Lou. We got away with that. Phew, thank God. But that's the way New York was. There was fighting everywhere. You couldn't get through the day without getting into an argument somewhere. One day in going down to visit Stanley and Walt on the Bowery, I go in the shop and Walt is sitting there. He says, did you hear what happened to my brother Stanley? I said, no, what happened? He said, yesterday a fight, fight, fight broke out in here. And my brother hit the guy and he had a straight razor in his hand. The straight razor closed on his fingers, nearly cutting his fingers off. He said, I had to rush him to the hospital. He said, look at all the blood on the wall here. I said, Jesus Christ. I said, come on, Walt, I'll help you clean it up. He says, nah, it matches the blood on this other wall over here. He said, I'm just going to change the name of the shop to the Bucket of Blood Tattooing. I never went, went to visit Stanley and Walter when Stanley wasn't punching somebody out. I used to ask Stanley, why are you hitting everybody all the time? He says, you got to, he says. Me and my brother are trying to get a buck or two for a tattoo. They said, Charlie Wagner's right down the street doing them for 50 cents. He says, and the guys want to fight me when I tell them two bucks. He says, I got to fight just to survive. Back in Manhattan, another fight one night, and one of the customers goes running right through the glass door just to get out of the place. He crashes through the glass door, and we had a metal... Had a railing like a 
across the front door. This guy does a flip over that metal railing, falls down on his head on the cement, busts his head open, blood coming out, gushing out. The ambulance came, the police came. Tony the pirate was there that night. Tony says to me, let's you and me, Eddie, go over to Newark where I'm from and open a tattoo shop right down the street from old Dutchie in the barber shop down there. He has quite a good business. He said, we should do very good. Dutchie is not a good tattooer. So I agreed. Me and Tony scouted the place out, found a little store there. We rented the store, hung off some pictures. Tony didn't have anything. I took some of my pictures from, from down the Brooklyn Navy Yard. I had quite a bit of flash I had grown myself, and I'll talk about in another chapter. I had a set of flash that Bill Jones had drawn and was selling a set of 20 sheets de of designs. They were very nice. I had some flash that I had brought from, from a guy in Ohio. He was advertising around through the grapevine. He was selling design sheets for tattooing. He was a tattooer from Sandusky, Ohio. So I had plenty of flash. I had plenty of tattoo machines. I had everything we needed. We opened up, and Tony said, Jesus, I feel sorry for Dutch. He said, we're going to put that poor old guy out of business. He's been here for a long, long time. One day, standing outside the shop, here comes Dutch down the street. He says, how you doing, guys? He says, I want to thank you for opening here. I've never been so busy. You guys are doing some pretty stuff, and it's bringing a lot of people around. He says, I'd like to ask a favor of you guys. He says, I only have two needles. He says, I was wondering if you could make me some needles. We said, sure. I took a walk down the street with Dutchie into his shop, and he showed me what he had. He had a little olive jar with some alcohol in it, and a needle was in the jar. He took the needle out and showed it to me. I looked at the tips of the needles. They were all broke off or bent over. That was a well-used needle bar. He says, when I'm tattooing and the needle flakes across the skin, it, it actually chops little pieces of skin out. He says, so I changed it. I put this other needle in. He says, but now they're both in such bad shape. I could sure use some needles, guys. So we laughed. Tony started up a couple dozen needles for the old guy. He was very happy. We were very happy. By now, I was getting pretty good at my tattooing. In the beginning on 48th Street, the customers would wait. They'd say, well, wait for the older guy. And Dominic liked that. But now I was getting pretty good. And customers would say, well, wait for the younger guy. And Dominic got mad. I could see he was getting angry. He wanted to be the star of the show. And Dominic started complaining about silly minor shit. He would say, you use two boxes of tissues, I only use one. I'd say, Dominic, I put in three times as much money in a cigar box as you. What the fuck are you griping about? But he kept griping about every fucking thing. By now, I was very much in love with Nancy and asked her to marry me. I was off the road by now, thank God. 
Nancy agreed to marry me, and we got married, and I went on a little honeymoon for a couple of, couple of weeks. We had plenty of guys working in the tattoo shop, all the guys from the avenue. This Howie that we taught the tattoo, Tony the Pilot, Lou Rubino, everybody wanted to work there. Sometimes Jimmy Colantuna would come over and sit in there. So Dominic was in charge while I was away. When I come back from my honeymoon, I come back, I'm, I'm kind of broke. I come in the shop and my my power pack is gone, my machines are gone, all my stuff is missing. <coughs> I said, Dominic, what happened? Where's my stuff? He saw that fucking Ferguson took it. I said, what do you mean he took it? You let him take it? He said, what am I going to do? I thought to myself, something's fishy here. So I asked around, they said, Ferguson was across the street in a bar drinking. So I go over, I said, hey, Fergie, he's there, Eddie. I said, you got my tattoo stuff? He says, yeah. Dominic owed me some money and he told me to take your equipment and, and you would pay me the money when you got back. I said, well, I don't know what the hell he's talking about, but I need my stuff, Fergie. He says, I'll go get it. He says, now how to talk with that fucking Dominic? He owes me money. I said, well, that's between you and him. It's now 1957. I have five years under my belt from when I first bought my tattoo equipment, and I thought I was pretty good. I thought I knew everything, but I don't know nothing, really. Nancy had a little two-year-old son when I married her. His name was Bobby. I fell in love with this little kid. So one day I go down to the Bowery, and I asked Stanley if he tattooed a dentist the menace on me and write little Bobby under it. He said, yeah, sure. So he does that and he says, I just traced this Woody Woodpecker head. It's about the same size as the Dennis the Menace. He said, I just traced it out of a comic book. Let me put that on the other arm. I said, okay. So he says to his brother Walter, time me, see how long this takes. When he got done, Walter says, it took you five minutes, Stan. This is good. That'll be a five, five dollar tattoo. He says, we're going to make a dollar a minute from now on. Charlie Wagner ain't around anymore. And we can get the prices up. And we want to make a dollar a minute. And that seemed to set the standards throughout New York. One day I go over to Newark. The bullshit with Tony and old Dutchie. And I come up to the tattoo shop. Tony the pirate is sitting on a little ledge in the window of the tattoo shop. He's sitting there with his legs crossed like an Indian. He's got a hammer in his hand. He's banging on the floor. He don't look up. I open the door a little and I hear Tony talking to himself. He says, I sent you for 20 years in the electric chair. How do you like that shit? Winter was approaching. Business slowed down, and it seemed everybody was a little depressed. They used to call me Crazy Eddie. It seems like all these tattoo guys I met, they were the fucking crazy ones. I thought to myself, maybe I'm normal. 
anyway, only the pirate had to prove phobia. He always wanted to have two tattoo shops far apart from each other. In case something went wrong, you had another place to go to. Me and him took many side trips in, in my experience in hanging around New York. We went to Virginia to meet the great Captain Coleman. Captain Coleman wasn't there anymore. He had died. But we met Conley, who used to work with Coleman. Paul Rogers, another great tattoo artist that used to work with Coleman. And, and a man named Captain Sailor Ned. Three great tattooists. We met many tattooists from that area. called himself Hatchkeith and his wife Anne. His real name was Eddie, but he called himself Hatchkeith. Paul Rogers said he was moving to a new location down in North Carolina, a place called Jacksonville, where there was a big marine base. He had teamed up with some carny tattooer named Hux Paulding, and he was moving down that way. Not long after that, Tony the Pirate came and said, hold me. Some guy named Paul C. Capps was in touch with him from Jacksonville, North Carolina. Seemed the guy was a rich guy, and he had a lot of property down there, and he was interested in opening a tattoo shop, and he wanted Tony to come down and, and discuss it with him. So Tony went off to North Carolina. As I said, things were slowing down. Winter was setting in. Everybody was kind of disgusted. Tom, they kept fishing and griping about things with me. I said, I'm going to get in trouble with this, Dominic. I told Dominic, listen, we pay the rent for this month. I said, you keep what you make. I'll keep what I make. I'm tired of giving you three quarters of my fucking money anyway. And then you can keep the place. Shove it up your ass. What do I care? I was stupid, young. If it happened again today, I wouldn't have made such a statement. Anyway, my wife Nancy went off to some affair. She was supposed to be home at a certain time. I was home waiting for her. Time went by and by, no Nancy. I called her grandmother's house. She said, oh, she left quite a while ago. So I walked down to the corner where there was a bar by the bus stop. I said, sit in the bar, have a drink, and watch the other get off the bus. While I'm sitting there, a motorcycle pulls up. Nancy gets off the back of the motorcycle, plants a kiss on the motorcycle driver, and she starts walking down the street toward our apartment. I leave the bar, went around the corner the opposite way. So when I got to where our apartment was, I was coming from the opposite direction. I said to her, where was you? She said, I was over my grandmother. She said, I just got off the bus. And I reached up and gave her a slap in the face. Didn't mean to hurt her, but I wanted to smack her. She tripped over a little, little chain fence the guy had around his grass, so he had just planted some new grass, ankle-high little chain around it. She tripped on that, fell down. Think she fractured her jaw. I didn't mean to hurt her, but I did. Things were just disgusted. Back from North Carolina comes Tony the pirate. 
He said he was down there. He said, there was only two tattoo shops there. He said, Paul Rogers was there with this guy, Huck Spaulding. He said, in the other tattoo shop, a penny arcade. He says, well, the big Mexican used to tattoo, big Puerto Rican used to tattoo on, on the Bowery. His name was Ace Holland. He was working with a man named Owen Jensen, who also used to work on the Bowery years ago. He was a builder of tattoo machines, very well-known tattooer, very good tattooer. He said, and this man, Paul Caps, who was going to open the tattoo shop, he wanted Tony to work it. Tony said he went in to see Spaulding and Rogers, and Spaulding offered him two, two nice tattoo machines. Spaulding was now going into the tattoo supply business in a small way, making tattoo machines. And actually, Paul Rogers was the brains. But he gave Tony two of these nice two, two new tattoo machines, and Tony left town. So I worked a month in the 48th Street shop, saved up the money I made. I still had the Navy Yard shop that wasn't doing very much, but I still had it. But I said, I'm going to take a ride. I'm going back to North Carolina see this man that wanted to open a tattoo shop and see what's happening. So I drove down to North Carolina by myself. Actually, I took the bus down. I, I met this man, Paul Caps. I talked to him on the phone. So he says to me, he wants to open a tattoo shop. Would I be interested? And he hopes I ain't like this guy, Tony Cambria. I came here, he says, he was all set to open a tattoo shop, and next thing you know, this Tony takes off. And I said, no, I'm here to stay. He says, well, let me tell you my, my story. He says, I came through this town. It was only a one-block little town. He said, years ago with a carnival. He said, I seen the Marine base here. He said, on paydays, there was thousands of Marines. No place to go, nothing to do. He said, so I came here. I bought up some property, I built the town, I extended the town, it's now three blocks long. He said, I own most of this town. He said, that laundry shop over there, I own, he said, I own this, I, and he said, where do you think a tattoo shop would go best? He said, here's the main gate where the Marines come out. I said, well, right here would be, be the best location. He said, well, I own this building, it was called Onslow's Laundry. So he goes into the laundry, he says, hey, Andro, I want you to take your laundry and everything and move it to the back of the shop. I'm going to partition it off. I'll have a walkway in here for you, but I'm opening a tattoo shop up front here. So now I got a roof to hang around while Paul Caps builds the tattoo shop, gets the plumber and the sinks and so on. So I go and I meet. Owen Jensen, Ace Allen. I have nice conversations with them. I'm staying at the only hotel in town. I have a room in there, and I'm sitting on the bed writing a letter home to Nancy. Me and her were, were friends again, but things weren't great between us. So I'm writing a letter home, and I hear a knock on the door. I get up and I open my door. Nobody's there. I look down the hall, nobody's there. 
So I go back to writing my letter. I hear the knock again. Again, nobody's there. Then I realize there's a bathroom door. And I open the bathroom door. It seemed the bathroom connected the two rooms side by side. There was entrance into the bathroom through each room. And there's a girl standing there in a negligee with a can of beer in her hand. And she says, hi. I said, hi. She says, would you like a beer? I said, sure. So one thing led to another. I ended up in her room that night. It was raining like hell. We were looking out the window watching the rain. One thing leads to another. We end up in bed. Had a great time. But in the morning I had a bad conscience. Very sorry for what I did. Anyway, I go out into the street. And I go visit Sperling and Rogers. Sperling offers me a tattoo machine to leave town, not to open up a tattoo shop with this poor cat. So I say to Sperling, well, you gave Tony the pirate two machines. So he offered me two machines. And I took them, went to the bus terminal, bought a ticket for New York. That was a long, lonely bus trip. I decided right then and there that I wouldn't travel by bus any amount of distance ever again. Kept thinking to myself, I'm going to confess to Nancy about this little affair I just had. What an asshole I am. You never confess. Always deny every fucking thing. Anyway, I get home, I confess to Nancy. We still ain't on the best of terms. But it turns out she's pregnant. I'm very happy. It's been, been a year since we've been married. And finally she's pregnant. I'm very happy about that. We moved back, back into our grandmother's rooming house. We take a big apartment she had in the basement. And I decide I'm going to go open the tattoo shop in Long Island, in the green bus terminal in a town called Jamaica. It was a very busy town, and the bus terminal went in all directions to many towns in Long Island. I figured it would be overnight publicity of where I would get my customers from. So I rented a place in the bus terminal, had a great big glass window the whole length of the store. I felt like I was in a fishbowl. But I hung up my flag, set up my little bench, and I opened up. I did a few tattoos. Nothing to get excited about. I tried that for several months, hoping it would build up, but it never did. And I said to myself, I gotta find a new spot. And Coney Island was always in the back of my mind. <laughs>